this episode of BoJack Horse Pod does deal with the topic of suicide. If this is something that hits close to home, please feel free to skip this episode to protect your peace. And if you do choose to listen and this episode brings anything up, remember you are not alone and you can call the Canadian Suicide Hotline at 833-456-4566. Or if you're in the States, you can call 1-800-273-8255. You are not alone. Welcome back to BoJack Pod, the BoJack Horseman story. Today we will be talking about season five, episode six of BoJack Horseman, Free Churro. My name is Kirsten McInnes and I'm joined as always by the lovely Lindsay Wilson. Lindsay, how are you? Doing great. Back in the same time zone as you, not to spoil our upcoming segment, but <laughs> back in Vancouver. It feels it feels so good to be back in the same time zone. I love we of course are not alone. We cannot be tackling what is referred to as the Bojack episode without a wonderful guest. But this guest is is about to learn about our new segment, so it's very <laughs> fun. He has taken time from being a reality TV journalist, podcaster, father, all of that. Mike Bloom is here. Mike, how are you? I'm doing so well. I'm so happy to be back talking BoJack Horseman, a show that I love very dearly. I got to come back the previous season, and then I I sort of talked to you behind the scenes, and I'm like, Free Churro is the one I want to come on for. So I'm happy to get the return invitation. I guess you could say I really knocked him dead. Thank you. Thank you very much. I brought, my, oh my I brought an Oregon guy. He's going to help me through all this. He's on the other side. Well, whatever you're paying him, it's too much. Yeah. I mean, anything's uh, great. I don't know what's less than zero, but yeah, I suppose so. <laughs> Amazing. Oh, that was so good. <laughs> that was incredible. But yeah, we, we've developed, Mike, it's always so embarrassing to go through our new segments with someone who doesn't because like... They're so stupid, but I guess I think that's why you will like it as No, well. like, yeah, so you tell me something <laughs> um, stupid, and I'm like, oh, and why did I not come back sooner? If that's, yeah. if that's like, the barrier for entry, I'm smashing through that barrier. So I guess the, the first thing that someone listening to this podcast might be wondering is, what time is it right now? And so thanks to whattimeisitrightnow.com, we can tell you all what time it is at the, while we record. <laughs> so it's Wednesday, February 2nd, 2022. In the West, the Pacific time zone, me and Lindsay are at 4.52 p.m. Mm-hmm. In in London, it's February 3rd, and it's 12.52 a.m. In New York, where Mike is, it's 7.52 p.m. And in Hong Kong, it is 8.52 a.m. on Thursday, February 3rd. So really, we've got, it's a lot going on. Can the British listeners tell us what life is like on February 3rd? They were able to go past Groundhog Day, unlike Bill Murray. And I think they've been able to watch the Celebrity Big Brother premiere at this point. So I think they have a lot of intel that we are lacking at the moment. Yeah, they've made it. We don't know if we're going to be in a Groundhog Day situation yet or not. So that's, that's pretty huge. If that happened, how was your day? How was today if you had to repeat it for a long time? It wasn't terrible. I did a lot of watching various things. I got to talk about, I'll do the plug section here, I guess. I uh, never did make that <laughs> of order. I got to talk about a very interesting episode of the Book of Boba Fett that was essentially just an episode of Star Wars that was really freaking cool. So like, if I'm, if, if hell for me, if the 10th circle of hell is me recapping the same episode of television over and over <laughs> and over again, like, 
I'm fine with it. There are literal podcasts that are based around that concept. So those were the, the <laughs> early days of Renap was even built upon that foundation. So it is far from shaky, in my opinion. <laughs> that could work. And then we get to talk about free churro every day. Mm, uh, that's true. Like, time. That's not bad. And I, I don't think if even if I talk about it in perpetuity, I don't think I'm going to hate it by the end of the day. I think if anything, I'll just find new little nuggets, new little sugar crystals sprinkled in throughout this gem of an episode. Yeah, I, th- I think that that wouldn't be the worst. Lindsay, you've had a busy day. Would, would this be an OK day for you to repeat? Oh, if I had to take a stats class for the rest of my life, I think that would be pretty nightmarishly bad. <laughs> no, no, because you'll be able to have the statistician's eye to figure out like, OK, how can you find your way out of this loophole? Like True. you're the closest thing to a scientist out of the three of us. And so I think we turn <laughs> to your big brain to say, OK, how can you theoretically quantum physically find your way out of this trap of living the same day over and over literally again. we are in palm springs the movie mm-hmm. Lindsay is the one doing the research and learning how to get out of it are you pk jk simmons jk simmons pk simmons i always think of pk suban the hockey player which is, like confuses mm-hmm. me of course um I think of, of uh, Super Smash Brothers when there's like PK Fire. Like that's the, I'm just thinking of a move of PK Simmons. It's just, J- you throw JK Simmons at someone. Well, would you be JK Simmons or would you be, um, oh, what's his name? Jake Peralta. Who plays Jake Peralta? Oh, Andy Samberg? <laughs> Andy Samberg. <laughs> would you be Andy Samberg or JK Simmons? Have you seen Palm Springs? I hate you both. Oh my god. <laughs> oh no, I've I've seen Palm Springs. I thought you were talking to Lindsay. Like, are you asking me? I haven't seen no, anything. No, you because like. she's gonna be the she's gonna be the one doing physics. We already you're know gonna who get she Christian Milati. Yeah, I mean, yeah. listen. I think the Andy Samberg. Look, we came on last time being like, oh, I remember all those times I got compared to Zach Braff. Andy Samberg is a pretty right close there, branch I'm on sure. the family yeah. tree. Like, how many big nosed lanky white men exist in Hollywood? It's probably I'm probably oh like very close close to them in some sort of relation. <laughs> So yeah, I think anything that yeah. even is close to Andy Samberg, I think I could easily find myself fitting into it. at least more than J.K. Simmons, who is a fine man, but I do not feel mm. I do not feel personally enriched enough to be filling, you know, the suspenders of one J. Jonah Jameson. <laughs> yeah, the thing is, is like, I don't I don't have it in me. I don't think to be as violent as he is in that movie. But since you two, I guess, both have defined roles, I'll have to I'll have to be him. Okay. All right. Nobody play the drums in front of you, Kirsten. <laughs> yeah, don't even try it. <laughs> My daddy did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get your get your organ guy out of here. <laughs> oh no! Yeah, I was gonna say I'm so sorry if he wasn't your tempo. I'm sorry. You, we missed actually. We cut out about like three minutes where Kirsten just threw an absolute shit fit, like yeah. burst a hole in her wall after I played the rim <laughs> shot, and she just like melted Lost down. It. Like Chernobyl. Yeah. This is, that's actually what gets edited out of the podcast every week is me just having an absolute shit fit over everything. <laughs> yeah, and that's why you Doing have to kind of like center yourself here. by being like, okay, what time is it right now? Yeah, you know, like, let exactly. me get back to a topic that can really center me. <laughs> and you know what? That's actually a perfect transition, Mike, for our other segment, which is this podcast is coming out on February 8th. What holidays is it on February 8th of 2022? I had the realization literally this week. I was like, oh my God, we go like, what time is it right now? But what day will it be in a week? Yeah. So we're letting them know where we are in a time and a place. Mm -hmm. And then we're letting them know where they are in In time time and and space. Right? This is a good one for holidays today. Okay. Okay. That's a good one. So first off, Boy Scouts Day. Mm. And I think that's the worst one of them all. Yeah. Interesting. 
Yeah. I don't know how you celebrate, but I guess you like always be prepared, I guess. Always. Is Boy Scouts, is it the three fingers or the two? I, I think don't know. three is Boy Scouts. <laughs> I think two is Girl Scouts, maybe. Can't remember. Well, that seems problematic. People realize that there's not a visual for this podcast, and that came across as very dirty in other circumstances. Michael, please, a family podcast. Someone recently was like, oh, yeah, you've got to learn the the gang signs for Vancouver Island. They were like, VI. And I was like, that's the shocker. And they were like, no, because you don't put your fingers together. So you don't put you your it? fingers. VI. Mm-hmm. It's like Spock like grew an extra finger. That's what it feels like. <laughs> no, Spock would be like this. It's close enough. It's incredibly off close. One of his it's extremely loud yeah. and incredibly close. <laughs> okay, fine. That was extremely loud and incredibly close. Oh I think I've ever used that phrase in my life, and now I want to use it every day. Okay, it's also Extraterrestrial Culture Day. What? So if you know any aliens, it's the day to celebrate their culture. Okay, that does sound one of the most whitewashed terms I've ever heard for just, like, alien <laughs> shit in my life. Of, like, oh, it's an it's a, a Extraterrestrial Culture Day. Like, no, it's just alien shit day. I mean, listen, you can't say that all the aliens are the same. How do you know they have one culture? I guess they that's need more days. Enough. I don't know. How, how, do you, how do you all plan on celebrating? We're still a, a bit of time away. Rewatching Alf. Re- rewatching Alf. <laughs> Alf does violence against cats, so mm, I cannot partake. But, like, maybe I'll repost the picture where I look like I'm E.T. in a bicycle basket again. Smart. I think that's a yes. good way to celebrate. Have we ta- we've talked about that on this podcast before, haven't we? Yeah, We have, yes. Problem. With Grace, I think. Oh, of course, of course. Mike, I'll send you the picture. It's yes. actually very <laughs> it's it's worth perfect. Seeing. It's also Laugh and Get Rich Day. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love both. I love both of those things. Ideally. That's what we do right here on this podcast. <laughs> Except for the Get Rich part. Oh, man, when yeah. our podcast hosting bill came in this year, it was like, whew. Yeah, it's a tough day for us. Is it the lump sum? Is it like the you're paying yeah. the entire year? Yeah, that's yeah. A, that's a tough one initially. Yeah, it's a tough day. <laughs> it's a tough day. Stupid January. <laughs> uh, it's okay. It's also National Kite Flying Day. Oh, so go fly a kite. It's National Molasses Bar Day. Molasses, molasses bar? bar. Like you make molasses. <laughs> I, I think it's like a specific type of dessert. Hmm. I'm aware of molasses cookies. I'm not aware of yeah. molasses. Yeah, I don't know. Is, the, is there is molasses part of a Nanaimo bar? Is that like one of the seven ingredients um, or whatever? No, Nanaimo bars are have custard and chocolate. Okay, I wasn't sure because I know that's probably something like hold it together, but that's an odd thing to celebrate. Okay, but to be honest, these chewy molasses bars sound delicious. Oh, yeah. They look pretty good. It's all it is is shortening molasses brown sugar an egg flour walnuts baking soda and salt and then powdered sugar on top good so make some of those it actually sounds delicious Lindsay. if you want to make some and put them in the post that would be (laughs) incredible next day delivery (laughs) yeah or you could just like come across on the ferry and be like hey look i brought you molasses (laughs) i brought you these i'm turning around right now (laughs) yes exactly yeah and get back on the ferry pay another like whatever 17 dollars and go home (laughs) okay it's also opera day (gasps) oh happy opera day everybody (laughs) and then okay the last two are big so the this 
Second last one. It turns out Tuesdays are big for web security. It is safer internet day, everybody. It is safer (laughs) internet day. It's always something. I don't know. Well, like every week, it's like change your password day. Like Mm -hmm. so. Okay. Well, I guess Monday. Like nobody wants a holiday affiliated with Monday. I'm assuming because like Garfield ruined that for all of us. Mm -hmm. Wednesday also has a bit of a stigma behind it. So I guess Tuesday Mm -hmm. is still like untouched in terms of stigma behind it. So I guess prime real estate. If you have to throw one of the whitest holidays I've ever heard on a day of the week, (laughs) I guess Tuesday is internet security day. Safer internet day. Hmm. Okay, what does that mean? Like so, safe search? I don't know. Stay safe out there. I, no. I think it means that Chappelle isn't allowed online today. <laughs> no dicks on Google Tuesday. Okay, and then this is the last holiday of the day. It is Propose Day. Ooh. It is. It's the second day of Valentine's Week, which is a full week of holidays that lead up to Valentine's wait, Day. No, I was wait, unaware. Valentine's no, Week. That is not a thing. There's this a holiday not- every day of the week leading up to Valentine's we're, Day. We're not doing the 12 days of Christmas for Valentine's <laughs> Day. That is incredibly exorbitant. I'm listening. Wow. That is extremely loud and incredibly close. <laughs> what was the first one? This is Okay, the so for Valentine's Week, the first one is Rose Day. The second day okay. is Propose Day. <laughs> okay, are they going to keep rhyming? <laughs> the third day is Chocolate Day. The fourth day is Teddy Day, which could be a teddy bear or it could be lingerie. You don't know. The fifth day is <laughs> Promise Day. The sixth day is Hug Day. The, the seventh day is Kiss Day. And then the eighth day, Valentine's Day. Wow, it's a big old capitalist mess. But I'm a little confused here by the run-up because we get things like roses and chocolate. And like, I understand. Mm-hmm. We're like not rounding the bases, but we're like getting up to bat, proverbially speaking. <laughs> Why is propose in the middle of that? Because I think propose, propose is-, is before the hug. Yeah, first you get a rose, then you get proposed to, then it, it goes then, from there. And then, and then you hug and kiss them. Yes, that's the rule. At the end of the week, first you get a hug, next day you get a kiss, and then the next day it's Valentine's Day, which I, I guess means that if you partake, you you go all the way. I love how this, teddy. This, this society has the wherewithal to be like, I know you want to propose to your sweetie on Valentine's Day, but how about this? Five days earlier is really the time <laughs> when you're supposed to do it. That's the sweet spot. I mean, I feel like proposing on a holiday is like a bad idea in general. Like, yeah. I find it very annoying. Like a, like a national the... holiday? Like, does a birthday yeah. count? <laughs> like, actually, I don't, I don't know if birthdays count or not. I'm, listen, I'm not... I'm not engaged or married, so I can't really speak to this. But, like, I feel like when people all get engaged on Christmas, I'm like, pick a different day. Then you get to have two good days. Why are you putting it all together? Spread the love. Then it seems like you don't have to get a gift. Maybe that's why people do it. So you're cheap? Mm -mm. If anyone Mm. ever proposed to me on a holiday, (laughs) I'd say no. Joke's on you. There's a whole eight days of Valentine's Day things. And that's the thing is there are holidays every day. But the one thing that, Lindsay, you'll love is that this holiday is primarily celebrated in India. Oh, my God. They celebrate everything. They're the most interested in web security, Mike. Than anywhere. Oh, okay. Interesting. So they're romantic and they like to practice safe Internet searches. That's right. I mean, hashtag goals. That's where I want to live. We're always learning about culture on this podcast. I think you should turn your safe search all the way up, Mike. Just like, not because I have any reason to believe that, except for that I know you, but <laughs> I have no reason to believe it, except for every single thing I know about you up to this yeah. point. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know the there's video footage of you circulating that is less than savory. <laughs> oh my. <laughs> The amazing race thing, Mike. The amazing oh, race thing. Oh, oh. Mike's like, what you know did what you the, see? You know, well, you know what the problem is? I had to legitimately rack my brain of like, oh, I don't think there's one consensus thing that would check that box. <laughs> there are several. I had to legitimately go through a Rolodex oh of like, God. all right, let me chorus cross check of like, what have I done the past near decade of prattling into this microphone that has filled that criteria? I'm going to say at least 30%. Yeah, how do I not incriminate myself by admitting to something she wasn't thinking of? Well, out of, out of respect for you, I didn't watch that video and I never will. I mean, yeah, listen, if people want to enjoy what they want to enjoy, it's fine. I put my body on the line for my art. That's fair. Should we maybe talk about this episode of BoJack? Probably. Probably. Good thing to propose. Mm. Ooh, on proposal day. So here's the thing. This is like the most iconic episode of BoJack of them all. And I feel an immense weight to cover it properly. But also it's only one plot line the whole way through. So Mm -hmm. I feel like it's like, like they say it all, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like Bo- Bojack says it all. Yeah, the IMDb very easy to cover this week. Will Arnett. <laughs> yeah, I, that's I it. mean it's wild. It's absolutely wild. I'm sure we can talk in many ways about like just how surprising this was in many ways. The first time you all watched this episode, how long did it take you before you realized, oh, we're not going anywhere, and we're not talking with anybody else. It's just him. I don't remember having a moment of like, this is what we're doing. I feel like I was just completely caught up in it. And then afterward was like, whoa, it was just him the whole time. When I watched season five, I didn't watch season five right when it dropped. When season five dropped, I said, I'm not ready for this. And then I watched Mm -hmm. seasons one through four again before I watched (laughs) season five. So I came into this episode knowing it was the episode, which kind of like, I feel like I put a lot of pressure on it before watching it. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I, I kind of was like, well, I know that this is going to be a weird one. So it wasn't really surprising that we didn't leave the room. Right. I don't mm-hmm. know. I remember that this was the eulogy episode, but I was like, I, if you had given me a million dollars, I couldn't have told you why it was called Free Church. I was like, why is it called this again? And then, like, within seconds, it's... You're clear on yeah, what pretty that. pretty clear after the credits you get that yep. information. Well, when did you realize, Mike? Uh, it's tough because certainly... You know, the way that I I watch TV, much to my wife's chagrin, is, like, I really am uh, a slow digester when it comes to streaming television, where, like, if everything comes out at once, I'll watch one, maybe two episodes a day, even of 20-something minute television, just because, honestly, after that, it all gets jumbled up in my brain, and I feel like I can't necessarily savor it. So by the time I got around to this episode, I had heard some chatter, but I think a good thing about this episode is that the title doesn't give it away, right? Like, it's not like the always sunny naming things where it's almost like the title can be a code, right? Where people can be like, oh, you got to free churro. And so I obviously didn't know what it was about. I just knew there was an episode called free churro and that it was big. Uh, And it's not like Bojack has not done audacious things beforehand, right? Fish out of water. Another actually episode where Bojack is basically the only one to talk. You know, the the penultimate episode from season four. Like they certainly are going in big directions, but I did not expect it to go into this one. And I want to say maybe what it's a 26 minute episode or 23 or whatever. I want to say about six or seven minutes in. 
I think is when I started. It's it's maybe when he takes pauses. You know, when he took like his first major pause before turning to the casket, and I realized, oh, there's nothing to fill that space. And BoJack mm-hmm. is a show that likes to take its time, but not that much. And so it made me slowly start to realize, like, oh, we are essentially doing a one man show in the form of an episode, which I, God, I love to pieces. I rewatched this episode, and it is. Like, I do not use these words lightly, even though I am a hyperbolic person. I think this is a tour de force performance piece of writing and episode of television in general. It is just, (laughs) I'm consistently awed and wowed by watching it. And just the idea that out of the blue in this show, that especially in like seasons four and five, tries so many different things for them to go with this idea and commit to it and stick to it and because they're in streaming format, not have to be beholden to cutting to commercials to break it all up. Mm -hmm. It's just, it is masterfully done, in my opinion. Yeah, I think it's definitely very well done. I do think we need to be careful about, because I feel like it got hyped up so much that I was, I I never got to have the same experience that, like, you had, Mike, of, like, Mm. just enjoying it and, like, to me, I came into it knowing, okay, this is the episode, this is the big deal, and so then when it was done, I was like, yeah, it's amazing and it's great, but I was like, okay, like, (laughs) it, it, it didn't feel in the moment like it moves things forward, because at this point, before this episode, it feels like B is already kind of out of it when he leaves her at the horrible nursing home and, like, opens it up so she can stare at the dumpster until she dies. Like, it feels weird that they would bring a B storyline back. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's beautiful and has a lot to say about relationships with family and bad relationships with family and mm-hmm. facing loss, and I, I don't want to, like, undermine any of that, but I also feel like we get to the end of it and it's like, well... A lot of this season's plot has been happening, and then we don't hear back about it again. And I find that frustrating. I think I got more out of it this time, actually, and that, unlike both of you, I definitely watched this the day it came out. Like, I think I burned through the entire season five in a couple days. And so I think it was, like you were saying, Mike, where it starts to get jumbled up in your head. I don't think I appreciated it as much, where it's like, okay, we're just going straight from Filbert into this, into Filbert again, or whatever happens next week, God knows, but back into sort of the main storyline, and I don't think I had the same appreciation for it if you let it breathe a little bit, where this time I was like, okay, I know it's the eulogy thing, it's fine. And I watched it, and I was like, no, no, this is fantastic. Like, I think I appreciated it more just watching it on its own as like its own tour de force as you said like I think Mm -hmm. giving it that space is something that it really needs to shine yeah I I liked it more this time than the first time for sure I I just think like two episodes ago we got Anna Spanakopita giving Diane the information last episode nothing happened with that we barely saw anything at Philbert it was all about Princess Carolyn and then this one is all about the eulogy and I'm like I want to go back to that like that's Mm -hmm. I, I just want that. And I think that maybe that's because my brain is sick. But, like, I'm just <laughs> no. like, I want that. No, if, and if I recall correctly, Bojack isn't fantastic at serialization. And I think that's that's maybe one of the marks against it is, like, it is a little scattershot where they're just like, eh, we'll do an episode like this. And right. sort of, like, take away from a lot of the other things that are going on. I think, honestly, the weakest part of the episode is maybe its placement in the season. Is mm-hmm. that, you know, maybe if it starts off the season... That could be a little, not only a bit more of a big percussive hit, 
Kirsten don't come after my drummer again, but really oh just, this, <laughs> just this idea of like not being so much and now for something completely different that it throws you off. Again, I talked about something very similar on the book of Boba Fett this week in terms of like <laughs> taking a complete deviation from what we are, what we're used to. So like, I would imagine, especially to Lindsay's point, if you've got a good groove going and all of a sudden this happens as brilliant as it is, at the moment, you're like, okay, can we get back to what's happening? Whereas mm-hmm. now looking back in hindsight, not having to worry about knowing what's going to happen and getting back to the filbert of it all, you can really appreciate it just for what it is standing on its own, which really is, again, like just an incredible episode of television. May I put out a hot take? I don't know how much Please this is going to get me in trouble as like a television connoisseur slash like semi-professional so yes, I'm giving that title to myself. <laughs> Surprise you out with semi. I'll give you professional, Mike. I listen. Go semi at the end of the day. If anything, <laughs> try to stay humble as much as you can. I. Oh my god. When it comes to like television comedies, especially modern television comedies, I and have watched and I've enjoyed shows like Schitt's Creek and Ted Lasso. I do not think they make any of my best of lists not even close because I do think that we have such a storied history of the art form in general for both comedy and drama that I I now in order to to reach any sort of heights of that you have to surprise me whether it comes to tone or character or format and BoJack Horseman is a show that has constantly done that right whether it was like the wild swing into depressive stuff starting in season one and then swings back and forth thereafter whether it's the change in structures of episodes like we talked about with this one it's a show that constantly surprised me while still being funny i still think there are elements of this episode that are funny and so i i do think that when there's a lot of modern tv discourse around shows like i'm watching ted lasso right now and i'm i'm enjoying it it's pretty good but i see people fawning over it like it is one of the best shows of all time i will admit part of me is like i don't know bojack horseman did a lot more interesting (laughs) things personally i think this is an example of like i don't know how many shows could pull off what BoJack Horseman did, let alone in this episode, multiple times in various other circumstances. Mm-hmm. I do think your point about, I guess both of you kind of made the point about the placement in the season, something I hadn't super thought about either last time or this time, in that like two episodes ago, we had the episode end with that whole thing of like we have to know what we're defending men against and they play the tape with Bojack and so the most recent thing we kind of have about Bojack really in terms of any substance is like oh we're gonna revisit this Penny thing like he sucks and then we have the Princess Carolyn episode last week or with the Amelia Earhart story and there we get like a little bit of him where he falls off the building but like it is interesting that they're now being like let's put him in what is kind of supposed to be a sympathetic position of like, look, his mom died and we're going to delve into this relationship with both of his parents. But the most recent thing that's in our head is like, remember that thing with Penny. So I think that's really interesting in terms mm-hmm. of the placement of like, they can, it's almost like they had to have the Princess Carolyn one in there because it would have been maybe too jarring to be like, remember that bad thing he did with that teenage girl? Now he's delivering a eulogy. Like, I think they had well, to space it out a little. Because I think that this either, as Mike said, it either had to be the premiere or had to be later in the season. Mm-hmm. I think in the, like, cause we're not really in the meat of the story of this season yet. Right. Yeah. And so I think if this happens once we do have more of like an establish of like what's going to happen, cause at this point we don't know what's happening with the recording from Anna. We mm-hmm. don't really know what's going on with everyone. I think that if we had a better idea of where everyone was at for the season and then this happened, it'd be like, 
even more impactful. I think that they wouldn't put it as the premiere simply because they like talking about him, how he he talks about having a near-death experience during the eulogy. So I think that they probably have to have it after the Princess Carolyn episode. True. But I think that a little bit more space could make it more meaningful. Yeah. But I'm not I'm not trying to shit on the episode. Like it's not like fish yeah. out of water where I don't like it and don't <laughs> think it's good. I like this episode. Yeah, I just great. think that it it could if they just made a few small changes, it could like hit way harder. But maybe they don't want to hit even harder than this. I don't know. I mean the thing is is that I still think on its own though, it works as an episode. And maybe this is also a further discussion for like the whole binging versus weekly model, but like I cannot underline bold and italicize the point enough just about how incredible this episode is. And maybe it's Mm -hmm. because I come from the world of the stage, right? This idea (laughs) of like a one person show is something that's not foreign to me. I myself did a one person show back in college. So like it felt very theatrical in that regard, right? Whether it was that random moment where it focuses on his face and he has like this small panic attack with like the Tarantella playing in the background or what have you. It's just very audaciously done for a show and for a medium that is so based around dialogue, but it has roots in television. Uh, I know Bojack makes reference to an episode of Maud, and I believe this is what this is what Raphael turned to when it came to source material, is he watched this one episode where Maud like, talks to her therapist for the entire episode to be like, can we do this? Can we actually try to do this? And I think they pull it off incredibly well. And I don't know if there are many other shows that could say we're going to spend one entire episode with just our protagonist or central character, because he's far from a protagonist, (laughs) just talking with no other characters and be able to pull it off. But they're able to do so. It's an incredibly thin needle in general, this show, but they seem to thread it almost every single time. Mm-hmm. Now, have you watched Maud before, Mike? Because I had never heard of it until it was referenced in this episode of BoJack. Oh, really? Yeah. So this was, Maud was one of B. Arthur's, I think, big, I want to say mm-hmm. pre-Golden Girls? Yeah. So Maud aired from 1972 until 1978. So. Oh, wow. Long run for Maud. A pretty long run, but yeah. also before any of us were alive. <laughs> Very much so, yeah. Very, like, very much so. I was like, nope, nobody here was alive in the 70s. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> well, sometimes I'm like, wait, Lindsay, how old are you? She's oh one year God. older than me. But how I'll be like, are you, you like 15 years older than yeah. me? How old are you? 65? <laughs> yeah, oh, so you were alive in the 70s. I was born in the 90s, but you were very much born in the 70s, person who was one year older than me. Yeah, I'll be, I'll be like, yeah, were you alive in the 70s? I know it. I know Mike's an 80s baby, so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Barely. I'm an 89 baby, so, like, I'm, I am I don't remember the 80s. <laughs> Wait, I'm sorry. You're only three years older than me? You're, like, married and have a kid and, like, a life? I'm very much out of the box. Like, I'm incredibly different to anybody. I got married at 25. I had a kid at 29. Like, that is not married when you're 25? Wow. I got married when I was 20. I am not normal, people. Like, I want that (laughs) branded on my tombstone. I am not normal. I Uh, mean, but if you look at the past, you're, like, very normal. Like, historically. Well, there's there's certain certain footage that, you know, you you shouldn't want to search for if you want to see how normal I am, apparently. (laughs) Husband, father, semi professional tv guy no he's normal. a professional he gets pa- he gets paid <laughs> he told me to i had to TV keep him stuff. humble is, is that is that the determinant is like if i get a paycheck for talking yes, about television yes. 
Okay. All right. Then yeah. I guess I'll I'll, I'll use You're that. You do it. Pro- you do it professionally. As your profession, you might say. All right. I'll go with it. I'll take I'll take your word for it. I'm happy to do that. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. You heard it here first. Um, Mike is now a professional. So then, to answer your question, as the as the TV professional, I've not seen Maud. <laughs> so like this is gonna immediately val- invalidate my credentials. I've watched parts of it. You know, it it was one of those like many sitcoms from back in the 70s and yeah, 80s. Yeah, classic that, like, CBS sitcom. Yeah, that like might show up on Nick and Knight that I would maybe watch like a couple of episodes of but have no incredible memory of. Honestly, you know, I, I do not give myself any sort of pleasure in saying this. The, the most I've really heard of and thought about Maud was there was a joke in Family Guy about how long the theme song is to Maud. <laughs> and that is the main thing that I remember about Maud besides the fact that it had B. Arthur in it. I'm sending something to our group chat, which will now be the one thing you remember when you think about Maud, and it is B. Arthur as the Statue of Liberty. (laughs) Okay. Listen, I would not be uh, unhappy if he, like, made over the Statue of Liberty in B. Arthur's image. Oh, look at her. (laughs) Yeah. She's serving. She really is. Like, oh, my God. Give me your poor. You're tired. Oh, okay obviously like as we said like there's not like a like in the beat by beat i feel like wouldn't is not like the most interesting way to cover this but i would like to cover the pre-credit scene for sure mm-hmm. because it feels so weird to go from this scene to the to the eulogy for sure but it's a scene of young bojack who we haven't seen in a while he has been clearly waiting some time after soccer practice and his dad picks him up. He's the last one picked up. And it is Bojack's father just Sucks. basically monologuing in the car, showing what a bad person he is. I didn't write all of it down, but he basically is like, yeah, your mother's having one of her episodes. I was working and I realized that like not only had she not made me lunch, a meal I need to live, but she locked herself in the bedroom to weep. And now it's it's like only natural for women to cry, but when they do it at such volume, they're doing it for attention. Like, <laughs> yeah, very bad, very bad. And I know, Kirsten, the last time we talked to Mike, I did this thing where I excluded you by bringing up The Simpsons. But Mike, did this oh, you're remind allowed you? to bring up The Simpsons? Obviously, <laughs> yeah, I don't about, want uh, you to feel bad. Bro- brother from another planet, right? When yes. uh, Homer doesn't, Homer forgets to pick up bar from soccer practice. Pick a bar. <laughs> what does that mean? Yeah, or a trab puke sip. So this made me think very much of that. That also involves Homer just like talking at Bart for a very long amount of time with Bart saying nothing and like the, even the shot is quite similar. So I was yeah. very excited so this about time that. At least, we, don't, we, we don't get, you know, a dream sequence of young Bojack seeing his father like a skeleton being like, oh, how about a hug? Which is one of the most horrifying things I've ever seen on The Simpsons. Yes, very bad. <laughs> to be fair, I don't think there's many ways to film a dad driving a kid home from soccer <laughs> practice. Like, I think that, that that frame is gonna look similar regardless. You didn't want them to go all avant-garde? <laughs> the same, like, angry staring at the window and, like, refusing to yeah. look at your dad. And well, like, I mean, how would you feel if you did get, if you got picked up last from soccer practice and your dad was late? Yeah, Homer comes across better here, where he's like, uh, is this the one where he brings in the Sunday also? Yep, so, and then he and... His, there's a bump, and then the Sunday lands on Bart's head. Yeah, I mean, obviously, butterscotch is the worst. So Absolutely bad. terrible. But, yeah, it's interesting because in the moment, again, this is one of these things where you're like, why are we doing this? Like you said, we probably haven't mm-hmm. seen young Bojack. He's not in his little sailor suit like he usually is when we see young <laughs> yeah. Bojack. What, what's going on? But I think it really does c- call forward to 
what we're about to get into, right? Not only the idea of Cracker Jack, but the fact that Bojack eventually comes to the same conclusion that he does of, well, you can't depend on anybody. Now, from mm-hmm. Cracker Jack's perspective, it was more of like a... It was more... I'm sorry, Butterscotch's... I always mix those two up. From Butterscotch's perspective, it was more of the like, ah, woman, what's the use of them? Never mm-hmm. rely on them for anything. They're emotional and flighty and testy. For Bojack, it was much more like saccharine, less angry, right? More sobering of this idea of like, well, anyone who you think you can rely on just dies or they mock you mercilessly. So like, it all ends somewhere. You keep walking forward. You're the only one who does. You can't take it with you, including relationships. So I do like that theme calls forward. I think it also, you know, it's fun in that if this is a Will Arnett only performance this at least allows him to be another character and it sets mm-hmm. up the fun the fun ideation of one character talking to another character with the other character not being able to say anything even though they probably should in this case the the congregation at the funeral probably should have spoken up sooner but like <laughs> young bojack can't say anything either he's held captive yeah. well and i think it also introduces this a little bit too where it's like He's talking about Beatrice being like, oh, like you can't depend on women, you can't depend on anybody, but also it's really important that you recognize that like she's actually doing you a favor by showing you this. And you're very lucky that you have a good mother who's teaching you that. And you're like, you've got a head start or whatever. And then he does that really obnoxious, like, thank you, dad. Yeah, it's so, because he's the, the exact quote is, you can't depend on women, you can't depend on anyone. She's a good mother for teaching you that. You've got a head start on most kids. You're actually very lucky. And then the, ugh, I can't even do the thank you. It made me so yeah, uncomfortable. So like, bad. I find that that is the weirdest way to teach a child manners. Like, I don't <laughs> think that that would work to teach Screaming a kid to say thank face. you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, I'm not a parent. Maybe Mike is like, no, that's how we teach Asher every day. <laughs> every time he doesn't thank you. <laughs> I'm a naturally loud person, so I think it just comes out, you know, without me even meaning it. No, I mean, the the really interesting <laughs> thing here is the way that Butterscotch refers to Beatrice, specifically mm-hmm. when he says, you and that brittle wisp of a woman, you made the mistake of making your mother. Like, And I think that's the thing is that you can sort of laugh at just the audacity of this guy, right, to, yeah. to actually go so far as to make a statement of, it's your fault that she is your mother, which mm-hmm. makes absolutely no sense in the world. The logic is completely out the window, but coming from this guy who is a hot-headed artist, or at least fashions himself one, mm-hmm. like, it makes sense why he would fly off the handle and just make absolutely no sense as to something as simple as a family tree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's that's the pre-credit scene, and then once we get into the show, what I, one thing I really liked is they start with Bojack like super up close and it takes time before they fully zoom out to show you where you are, which I thought was a really well done way to, to get this going. Yes, I agree. I really liked that too. Or like you don't know what's going on or why he's talking about this. And like, yeah. And then I think it also takes a minute even to be like, oh, and also it's B. Like it's a that whole thing. But then right up front, we get this bit about the free churro right off the bat because when bojack says yeah so i stopped at the jack in the box today and the lady behind the counter asked are you having an awesome day like you could think oh is bojack doing stand-up again like you could eat like that totally sounds like it could be the start to a bit but he puts that to to rest instantly much like b herself because he says you know usually when people ask the answer is that he's doing shitty but he usually says i'm doing so great 
But today he had a reason to feel shitty, so he said, well, my mom died. And then <laughs> she started crying. Have you, is Jack in the Box a thing in Canada? No. No. Yeah, you're more uh, in A&W above all, right? A&W Canada <laughs> is pretty good. I'm actually a Burger King gal. I like the BK Lounge. Is Jack in the Box the one with, like, the creepy cone and, like, the round face? Yep, yep, yep. It's the, the mascot is a literal, like, Jack in the Box, which is, like, a round white head and a, a party hat. Looks sort of like, I don't know, one of those ancient wooden painted toys. But, yeah, that's <laughs> one of our... One of our many burger franchises in America is Jack in the Box. I don't think I have gone. I want to say there probably is one point where I was like driving through middle America and I went like to there or Sheets or something. But I think if I've had Jack in the Box, I would probably remember it. But I'm not I didn't sure. know it was a burger place. I think I was associating it as being more of like a Taco Bell, maybe just because they have churros. But <laughs> to me, it's a so like and this is just me with my like Canada brain and only experiencing a lot of U.S. chains through like commercials. And so not having an actual image of them. To me, Jack in the Box is related to Sonic. It's it's close. I think Sonic has more variety like okay. Sonic has hot dogs. Sonic has dessert, which I don't know if Sonic, Jack in the Box does. Is Sonic marketed as a drive-in? Or yes. Is it, yeah. yeah. So all the commercials, actually, there was like the two big guys behind it are a comedic doer named TJ and Dave. You probably have like oh. seen them on TV before in various roles. But like in the beginning, the Sonic campaign was like the two of them doing bits in their car. And so, yeah, with Sonic, you, you can go in, but usually the whole conceit is you like drive up to a space you park and then somebody brings the food out to you and you get to eat it in your vehicle which like has its pros and its cons uh i feel like there's like a, a graph where the older you get the less appealing it is where like once you when you don't own the car you're like awesome i get to eat here this is great this is doing two things at once but then once you actually have this vehicle and you're the one responsible for like cleaning it and driving it around with its musty ass odors then you're like uh <laughs> Okay, maybe we don't eat as much in the car as we should. I see for me when I had a car, it was very on brand for me to hit a drive through and then shamefully eat it in my car. It but it wasn't like a production of them bringing it out to me in a specific <laughs> spot. It was like I get the food and then I drive to like a secondary location where no one can see me eat the fast food. I have a healthier relationship with food now. I'll I'll proudly eat good my fast food out in public. A quick Google search says that the Jack in the Box mini churros, as of March 2010, a small bag of five churros comes out to $1. So not a big loss for the company to give a free one to BoJack. Do you like, I can count on one finger how many churros I've had in my lifetime, if I'm being I don't, honest. I don't think I've ever had churros before. And actually the only person I've ever seen eat churros is our good friend Dom Harvey. Oh, um, New York has churro people like in major subway stations, like there are mm -hmm. churro carts. So I think that would make sense because the only other time I think about churros majorly is the, at Taco Bell. They had the thing that Lindsay's talking about where they like chop them up. But otherwise, I'm thinking like Disney World or like exactly. Town Fair has those available. That's the only other possible location I can think of for churros. The last time I had a churro was at Disney World. <laughs> So, Lindsay, you've had churros. Mm -hmm. I assume you've also had a beaver tail. What's the what's yes. the taste similarity between those two things? So, the they're both like obviously you can get the cinnamon like sugar beaver tail. They're both fried tail. dough with like cinnamon sugar, right? Yeah. 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 So I think like the the beaver tail is like a thinner 
pastry, so it's like a softer consistency versus the churro I find is often like a harder, crunchier situation on the outside. Okay. Okay. Like beaver tails are like the, like a very Canadian touristy thing. Like if you went to like Banff or if you went to Ottawa and were like skating on the Rideau Canal, you'd like Mm -hmm. get a beaver tail. Yeah. I feel like you made up half of those words, but okay. <laughs> Beaver tail, Rideau Canal. You're just like, Banff. Stupid America, they're on the Banff Canal. So Banff is, first of all, one of the most beautiful places in the entire world. And if people yeah. have the opportunity no to go visit, I absolutely would recommend. There's amazing hot springs where you can go. You're in the middle of the Rocky Mountains. It is absolutely stunning year round. Mm-hmm. But the whole town is like very touristy. Like it's got a very rustic vibe. Everything is is wood everything is like cabin imagery because you're in the mountains so actually wait so. I, I just realized when I was going back to my notes uh, the second thing that I wrote down is so butterscotch talks about how last night your mother went to go see a doll's house and now she mm. has ideas do either one of you know what a doll's house is only because I googled it for the purposes of this podcast <laughs> yeah it is uh it's a very seminal play so it, it, it's a work from henrik ibsen and it, it's one of like it's part of that and like strindberg it's sort of part of that era where there were a bunch of scandinavian playwrights that sort of changed the game as it were but my experience with it is i've seen one of the weirdest theater productions i've ever seen in my life was a production of a doll's house where just to give a slice just a smidge of what this was. Yeah, pretend I don't know what this play is about. <laughs> All right, well, I mean, it, it doesn't even matter what the play's about because it just depends on, like, what what the, the choices that they made. Essentially, it's, like, all takes place in a house with, like, a couple, Nora and Torvald, where basically, like, she feels she's living the dream. She's the main character. But much like the titular doll's house, right, she feels like she's almost living this fabricated fantasy. And in the end, she ends up walking out. It's this idea of, like, especially in those days, right, in the 19th century, this idea of feminism and this idea of, like, not necessarily fitting those typical roles and breaking out. So in the production that I saw, all of the male characters were played by little people. And so to really symbolize that, there was at one point where there's this big confrontation in the final act between the couple in which she got in- entirely naked and then stripped off a wig and then she started singing opera. Maybe she this was on National Opera Singing Day. <laughs> and then as she did that, curtains dropped. And there were about 15 or so puppet theaters. And then puppet versions of her popped up and started singing alongside her. Wow. There also was a piano person, like a person <laughs> sitting playing a piano in the middle of the stage. And then there was like a tiny piano that one of the the little people sat down and played next to. Oh my god! Them. It was Aren't it so weird. It's incredibly strange. And this at the time was when I was pursuing my own theater degree. And maybe it was that was one of those moments where I'm like, I'm I'm all right. I'm out. I'm head out. <laughs> I, I'm tapping um... out. I don't think this is for me. Everything I know about this just came from the. Bojack Wiki, where it says in the trivia section, Butterscotch mentions Beatrice seeing a doll's house, which is a play written by Ibsen, which may be a reference to the continuity of Beatrice comparing Horson around to Ibsen. And then it says a doll's house revolves around a woman who is unsatisfied with her marriage, parallels Beatrice's own dissatisfaction and bitter view on her life after marrying Butterscotch. 
Incredible. So, yeah. What I was going to say to Mike, and it came up because he was talking about pursuing a theater degree. It's not related to BoJack at all whatsoever. <laughs> so my apologies. But okay. when I went to university, they used to do, there was always a week of like the theater students would do their own productions and it would be mm-hmm. like a whole week of that. And one I went to see once was called Mating Season and it was about walruses uh, and it was all just played by people and they would just walk around like moving their hands as though they were swimming. But then when there was a confrontation between the walruses, they would throw like, you know, the plastic when you get like a six pack of cans that you're supposed to cut up because it hurts like dolphins yeah, and yeah, shit. Yeah. They would just like throw one of that and then it would like hit them in the face and they'd be like, oh, I can't do anything. It would like fall to the ground. So they and were like pretending to be. So they were pretending to be humans, except for like two very key facets of being yeah, no, a they, walrus. Yeah, no, they like they were they were walruses, and technically it was supposed to take place underwater, so the lighting was very blue. But like <laughs> they didn't really have a way to represent that. So the only ways in which it was like, oh, they're not supposed to be humans, was that like if you hit them with like the six pack plastic from the cans, it would like. It would take them out. It was like a death death knell. And anytime anybody talks about going to theater school, that's all I can think of is the six-pack hitting this man in the face and he, like, falls dramatically to the ground as if, like, that's the the worst thing that could ever happen to anybody. And, like, I'm not criticizing that play, actually. Like, it was actually really funny and I had a great time. (laughs) But it's just so weird. It's so strange. Like, that is... The equivalent of that one episode of How I Met Your Mother, right? When they, like, go to see Lily's play and then Barney does Mm. that play of, like, wearing the black turtleneck being, like, rice pudding on my shoe. Uh, And just, like, spraying (laughs) yourself with mist uh, while, like, Bjork plays in the background. Like, those are examples of just the bad rep that that things can get. And this is a great theater. I I had seen uh, Black Watch, which was, like, this credible show uh, about, you know, uh, a battalion in the army, like, a year prior. And so we were all buzzed of, all right, we're going to see a doll's house. And then this happens, and we're like, Okay, yeah, there's a there's another edge to that sort. So that was just what came to mind for me when I when I saw and heard. How Adele's could house. you how could you ever forget that too though, right? Like that's the kind of thing that <laughs> oh, yeah. stays with you. So much so that the guy who played Torvald was on a Burger King commercial. Speaking of your favorite restaurant, and I just couldn't ever forget it because then I was like, oh, I remember you. You ended the show being half naked, crawling down the aisle, going Nora, Nora, oh just like dragging oh. yourself across the carpet. <laughs> Uh, and now he's selling you a Whopper with cheese. Life of a star. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so th- there is so much in this. You, like, <laughs> I don't even know where to start. Like, I like because I feel like we we can't go through all of it. Like, we just where can't. to start? It would We're take at fifty-five us, minutes. <laughs> it would take us seven hours. Like on like to actually go through the whole eulogy, yes. right? Like, yes. I I just don't think that that's even like possible, but. There's the recurring bit, of course, that Mike has already alluded to where he's like, can I, organ guy, like, can I get a little flourish here? And we, and we get like sound effects kind of throughout. So let, let's talk about B for a second, because I, so I haven't watched the rest of season five in a hot minute. Recall for me, what's the last thing we saw her do? Because Bojack's obviously going to describe her, how she died yes. in excruciating detail. How much does that link up to the last time we so, saw her? The last time we saw B was when Bojack found out that she had been putting the chubby gone in Hollyhock's coffee, mm-hmm. resulting in Hollyhock going to the hospital for an overdose of amphetamines. And he drove her straight to the worst 
nursing home in Southern California and asked for their worst room, and he left her there. She did remember him for a moment in that room. <laughs> remember but that now. That's the last we we don't see her again until this, which I think is why I feel like this episode is so out of place because mm-hmm. we haven't thought about her in so long. Yeah, the very last moment we had with her was when he's like, you're sitting on the whatever, on the porch with Cracker Jack and you're eating the ice cream. Like, Can you taste the ice cream? And she's like, yes, it's so delicious. And that's the end. But she's never had ice cream before. Yeah. Yeah, so, okay. So, yeah, then then that makes the, the hiatus again a little weird but it looks like apparently in that time things got even worse because i mean the place she's going to die is in an icu so like clearly there was some sort of hospitalization going on i will say one of the things that is also seared into my memory much like that production of a doll's house is the face that he makes um, that like strangled what does he say like like a, a strangled dinosaur toy is the way he describes it Kind of like a pissed off dinosaur. That's what it is, yeah. And he's like, believe me, like, if you'd been there, you'd just be complimenting me on how good the impression is. Yeah, he says, like, her face is forever frozen in horror and anguish, and that's why, even though her only request was for an open casket, they are having a closed casket. And he's like, see, I still I couldn't do anything right for you, Mom. Like, knock one so yeah, you're proud of me. He, he says that the coroner or funeral home people couldn't even close her eyes, mm-hmm. which I just... This doesn't make sense with someone dying in a hospital, you know? Because I feel like the minute they die, like, they, like, mm-hmm. start taking care of stuff. Like, it's, it sounds to me like they were in the worst hospital in the world that just, like, left her there and allowed rigor mortis to set in and <laughs> Who's never Morris? did Who's did Morris? Rigor Morris? <laughs> that's one of the, the RuPaul's Drag Race quotes that, yeah. like, Angela and I say all the time, no matter what. Morris? <laughs> Who's Morris? Morris? Who's Morris? Yeah, I what something I do love about the just again the thing of beauty that is the writing of this piece is like where it starts because to start I mean Bojack is very joking right like he's getting the rim shots he is doing almost like a set about things because he obviously feels a certain way about it like like you said even if when he makes those jokes about like oh I guess I, I screwed that one up he's still self deprecating. But what I love about it is how much it, it, like, that phase sort of goes away. It does pop up a couple more times, but I feel like we leave the joke era of things very quickly in the past. Maybe it's because Bojack realizes he has a cold crowd. In fact, they are cold-blooded at the end of the day. But it's just this idea of, and I do it as well, right? Coping mechanisms of, like, I, and he specifically is like, I have no idea how to do this. You know, am I supposed to say nice things about her because I have no nice things? I'm not sure what I'm doing up here, but I'm, I have to say something. So let me do what I do best and what like I was essentially pimped into doing, which is making people laugh. One of the things that really struck me in this initial part is when he's talking about like, oh, when I was a teenager, I went and I was going to be in a high school talent show and I saved up all my money to buy this cool jacket. And then when I got to the store, I couldn't get it because somebody else had already bought it. And my mother told me this was a lesson in wanting things. But then on the day of the talent show, she gave it to me and that showed me that she loved me. He's like, oh, that actually didn't happen. I made that up. I took it from Maud. And mm-hmm. I always viewed love as being like a series of grand gestures. And I was always waiting for that grand gesture from my mom to show me that everything was okay. And all of that, I was just like, oh, my God, like, this is brutal and so good. 
Yeah, he says, what really struck me there is he says, you have to be dependably consistent. You have to do it every day, which is so hard. But as a kid, you are always waiting because at any moment, your parents might surprise you with something wonderful. And it's like his parents literally never did. Yeah, Yeah. because even though they aren't there for you ever, over and over again, they fail you, but you still believe that they might show up for you. No, it's it's the first of many gut punches over the course of this that makes me love it so much. The quote that I really stopped and like almost made me look in the mirror during was all I learned about being good I learned from TV mm-hmm. which obviously reflects upon him right he was someone who we literally saw I think one of the very first flashback scenes was like his parents arguing and him like turning up the TV and focusing in on it you know mm-hmm. he was always so fixated on this idea of TV because of its escapism because of his ability to like imagine himself in a world where things were okay where there were happy endings even if he denies it but I mean I don't know. It me to a certain extent. I am a child that was raised by television and not to obviously besmirch like the, you know, my my amazing parents or anything. But man, I could there were so many things that television and pop culture like taught me about the way people should be. And it is such a demented perspective. The more I look back on it that I had thought about (laughs) a scripted television show as like a way to view the world maybe to like you know get a better sense as to the news items and pop culture and like what things are but television is far from a paragon of humanity you know (laughs) things are purposely heightened to build drama to build stakes like they said like things sometimes get put up in a a tiny neat little package when that is often not the case so like that was something that really resonated for me in a show that has Mm -hmm. resonated with me in many ways is my similarities with BoJack as with this idea of not only, you know, oh, for TV, my savior had taught me like what being good is, but like you both talked about the fact that that is not what being good is, that it's not just big swooping grand gestures because BoJack knows firsthand Todd gave him that scorching speech in season three, right? Of like, mm-hmm. you can't keep doing this. Yeah, you can't be just better. mess up a bunch of things, do one good thing and be like, we good, we're back to square one. That's not the way the world works. And I think BoJack is reflecting a lot of that. Well, that also, that whole combo, that also reminds me of in, have either of you watched Never Have I Ever? I have started it, but I have not gone incredibly far into it, unfortunately. Yeah, there, there's a moment in season two where Davey is trying to make an apology and tries to go for the TV grand gesture and it does not pan out. <laughs> so... I, I won't say anything more than that because I don't want to actually spoil my because it's an amazing show. Definitely keep going with it. If if you're like hesitant, it's no. worth it. No, I enjoy it. I mean, it's a little like not cringy in the in the way of like, oh, my God, you know, this is terrible, but cringy in the ways of like awkwardness. But mm-hmm. I think that's also s- sort of the point. It also has like Mohinder Suresh plays the dead dad and I love Mohinder Suresh. So like I'm going to keep watching it. Yeah, no, it's it's worth it. And it will also make you feel things. So not not a bad shout there. One thing also that really struck me at the start, which like isn't really relevant, but Bojack says, Beatrice Horseman, who was she? What was her deal? 1938 to 2018? Truly remarkable woman. I once saw her smoke a cigarette all in one long drag, and I just thought that was really impressive, so I want that on the record. <laughs> and yeah, a lot of a lot of this is again talking about like always wanting his mom to love him, always wanting to feel that and we get to hear about more about Bee's last moments and in her last moment she looked and maybe she was looking at Bojack, maybe she was looking over his shoulder, but she said, I see you, which mm-hmm. is something that Bojack was not prepared for. 
he thought, you know what, maybe there'd be one last barb, but he wasn't ready for this. And he says, it turns out you knew what I wanted, but you waited until the very last minute to give it to me, which like, especially once we get to what the ICU was, it Mm -hmm. is more of a gut punch, but that's a a big theme of like the middle portion of the eulogy as well. What what did you think about that, Lindsay? The the ICU? Well, yeah, I think so much of the really poignant lines from this episode surround that where Bojack gets into some really heavy stuff that I think resonates probably with most people watching it where it's like all you want is for people to see you for who you are and to accept you. And he says like, that's all I wanted from her was for her to just recognize who I am and not insult me or criticize me. And to have her do it at this moment almost was like a taunt. And then he kind of goes back and forth a bunch of times of like, maybe that's not what she meant. Maybe it wasn't anything. I don't know. But he does keep coming back to this of like, that's all any of us want is just to be seen. And I think that so many of the really profound moments come out of that. And I think there's so much there. And like you said, Kirsten, just like the gut punch at the end when you find out like, oh, my God. (laughs) And the thing, too, and like not not to be too much of like, well, I have a dead mom, so I can speak to this but like Mm -hmm. losing anyone important to you not just a mother or a mother figure like that the last moment or last conversation that you have with them is going to be something that like really sticks with you Mm. right Mm -hmm. and then so to think of that being Bojack's last moment being something that is completely wrapped in turmoil and confusing and he he still can't parse out what it means or why it happened is so like on brand for Bojack's relationship with B that it makes the gut punch hit just like a little bit more. Aw, but it's such a sweet gun punch. Like it's a delicious thing where like shoves (laughs) chocolate in your mouth at the same time. Cause here's the thing. It's, (laughs) it's incredible how many times he comes back to it again. It's like almost theatrical Mm -hmm. in the way that he keeps looping back to this ICU. Initially, he takes it in a positive light, right? He says, like, oh, this the last thing he told me, it's it's not judgment or disappointment, but it's acceptance and acknowledgement. It's this idea of, like, oh, I see you. Then it's eventually he's going to try to, like, his own, you know, paranoia is going to come in, right? He's going to be like, oh, do you think she meant that it's just like, oh, I see you. I see what you're mm-hmm. doing. I always know what you're doing. And then he eventually realizes that, of course, it was absolutely meaningless and it wasn't even addressed towards him. I think that is... Mm-hmm stunning and represents you know bojack's gonna talk a little bit later right about the fan who approached him being like when the coffee cup was on the screen did that mean that it represents the subjectivity of memory but like that's what this whole thing is right how we can take to you said like you said kirsten whether in that situation or not like one phrase one word and twist it in so many different directions and assign a completely different meaning based on your relationship but like you said, it connects back to Bojack's central conceit from even the beginning when the show felt completely different, which is to be seen, right? In the mm-hmm. very beginning, one of the reasons why Diane he gets Diane to write his memoirs is because he felt he had been out of the limelight, like only known as the 90s star, wanted to be seen again as, you know, a star in his own right. But then it very much morphed into Bojack being seen in general, right? Being acknowledged by the people in his life for the person he is rather than just the horse from horsing around. And so I just this idea of being seen in and of itself for Bojack is so multifaceted that it makes all the sense in the world that he fixates on it and thinks at first it is incredibly poetic and apropos for his situation. Yes. 
I, I can't think of anything to add to that because it's just like perfect. So this that's why we bring Mike on for the heavy hitting episodes, yes. y'all. Did you like when uh, Bojack quoted the end credits theme song for a hot second? I don't think he's ever done that before, right? I liked it. <laughs> um, I don't, yeah, I don't know if he's ever specifically done it before. I wouldn't be surprised if it had happened like one other time. But you could truly tell me anything. You could be like, oh, Bojack actually says this every episode. And I'd be like, <laughs> okay, sure. I don't know. He's probably but. done like Bojack. Don't act like you don't know or something. But Are yeah. are you like team, especially, I don't know, Lindsay, since you like massively binged it, did you always watch the credits through or did you just no. let it autoplay over <laughs> to the next episode? It definitely autoplayed, yeah. <laughs> I am like a weird type of mentally ill where like, <laughs> I will always watch the beginning credits of a show and I get very thrown off if anybody ever skips them mm-hmm. like ever and like my like my sister always skips them and like we'd be watching Downton Abbey and she'd like go skip the cre- and I'd be like no I need this like I don't care that we've watched six episodes today like I, I need this but then I will skip the end credits every yeah. time. Yeah, well, it's tough because that happened for most of the time with me with BoJack Horseman, just because I also don't love the song. Uh, I don't know, maybe it's like the timbre of the people who sing it. But then when we started getting into like more different styles with it, then I'm like Mm -hmm. scrambling for the remote, like, no, I want to hear this song, right? I want to hear this cover. It's like when Weeds used to do... I was just going to say that. Yeah, different <laughs> versions of the, the song. Or when, like, yeah. The Wire used to do different versions of the opening. It's like, okay, this is something new. This is something that I just don't mm-hmm. automatically set back into my mindset of moving on to the next episode. So Bojack yeah. is one of those rare shows I would watch on Netflix where, like, I would try to watch the credits and, and you know, not to fast forward through. Because on occasion, it might do something different. And so that's why everyone knows, though, back on the in the 90s, I was in a very famous TV show. Because that's at least the lyrics mm-hmm. that play before they yes. do play next yeah that you everyone will always hear that i always think about when it's like bojack the horse yeah <laughs> like, like that part like is like an intrusive thought for me <laughs> yes. but yeah Im- imagine if people had read that much into when there was like a starbucks cup on that one episode of game of thrones like <laughs> I mean that I felt so seen when Bojack talked about the the, the continuity error because I mean that is something mm-hmm. that Josh Wiggler and I do very tongue in cheek on down the hatch like we spend so much time being like okay this error what did it mean or like but I think we're we even we have our limits of not sometimes you know a cup is just a cup you know it doesn't necessarily all need to have significance to it but it's a bleak line from Bojack right figure go figure he draws a line from that too maybe we're dumb to pin significance on every little thing (laughs) I know I felt like that was very targeted at podcasters talking about TV where it's like people just try to pin significance on every little thing yeah Shannon Gus said it very wisely in a podcast I did with her last week like sometimes people just say words you know, sometimes yeah. people just say things and do things and maybe we don't need yeah. to, to hyper focus on it. But like, how can you not? Because we're only given so much time in this world. I mean, yeah. in general, I'm just saying words like that is very accurate <laughs> for me as a person. But if people want to read into that, that's totally fine. <laughs> After this, we also get where he, he thinks, well, maybe she saw my dad. And we find out that Butterscotch died 10 years ago from injuries sustained in a duel. Yeah, so we had seen a scene, I remember, right, of the two of them in the limo on either the way to the funeral or coming back from the funeral. But I didn't Mm -hmm. remember up to this point if we had known anything else about his death. No, they did not. The duel thing was new. And I don't think (laughs) they knew it was going to be a duel when they showed the clip of them in the limo by, by any means. Although I guess he didn't really die in a duel, 
It was an accidental death at a duel, but the duel never happened. Location-wise, it was in a duel, right? (laughs) Yeah. I liked this so much. I thought this was very funny. He goes, when your dad dies, you ask questions like, wait, did you say he died in a duel? (laughs) And also, who dies in a duel? Yeah, I love that a lot. Like, these are the questions you ask yourself when your father dies. And I I did think for a second, like, this is post-Hamilton, right? So, like, this makes sense why the the duel thing. It wasn't like, oh, Bojack Horseman predicted the future, would predict that duels would be on, uh, not on the rise. (laughs) I don't think, have any duels happened since Hamilton became popular? I think that if they have, they probably weren't billed as duels. Mm-hmm. And you know, maybe the seconds were able to sort it out and, and it didn't <laughs> have to happen. Maybe no one... Oh, it, I, I have heard that most disputes die and no one shoots. Yeah, exactly. I was no- including in this duel. Well, that's the thing is that do you think the problem was that is is that Butterscotch didn't have a second? That he was just like so alone in the world that he didn't have a second opinion? No, I think the problem was that Butterscotch spent his whole life with his head up his ass thinking (laughs) that he was, like, God's gift to art and literature, when if he had taken one look around, he would have realized that his life didn't have to be a struggle and that he was creating it. I think with therapy, this would have never happened. But, of course, there is no therapy there. So the reason he gets into a duel is because he spent his whole life writing the book and he thought it was going to be the next big thing. And when it finally got reviewed in a newspaper, it was a scathing review basically mocking it. And he, he wrote a letter in the newspaper saying that anyone who didn't like his book, he would be in a duel, which led to some guy from Montana taking him up on the offer because, I mean, we'll have to ask Martha yeah. if, that's, <laughs> if that's what Montana's like. Yeah, he says, like, in the middle of their 10 paces, Butterscotch turns around to see if the guy actually read the book, and then he trips over a root and hits his head, and he dies. Yeah, he turns to ask, like, hey, did you even read my book? Yeah, (laughs) what'd you think of it? What's better? If this guy did read the book and hated it so much he was willing to do, like, fly cross-country to do a murder over it, (laughs) or if he never read the book but just really wanted to do a murder. Like, what's oh, what's the better like, storyline here? I think it's by far... Ooh, well, I think for Butterscotch, right, it'd be much more the former of, like... Because that's what he wants, right? He wants restitution for mm-hmm. taking out someone read who the book. Tr- for trolled him, right? So, like, for him, it would be... And that's why he comes in with the assumption of, like, oh, you read the book. But almost, like, from a story perspective, to your point, Kirsten, it would be much better if it was the latter, right? It's that dramatic irony of it all. Again, going back to the theater of, like... He got killed by someone who didn't even read his book, so he died for mm-hmm. literally no reason. Well, except he didn't even <laughs> die by the person because he tripped over a rock and hit his head. Yeah. So he literally just died over nothing. Like, And that means, truly, that Butterscotch's whole life was for nothing because he mm-hmm. made that book his whole life, and he didn't even die over it. He died just accidentally. Yeah. Bojack says, I wish I had gone to Jack in the Box then because then I would have gotten a free churro and then I'd have something to show for being the son of Butterscotch Horseman. Speaking of Jack in the Box, I have asked our resident fast food expert, Chappelle, Amazing. <laughs> opinion on Jack in the Box. I just thought that would be important. So I texted him, have you ever eaten at Jack in the Box? He said, yep. I said, is it good? And he said, I ate a ton of it in college because it's cheap, but it's not good in brackets. It's not disgusting. 
but they have only a few things I've craved since college. Curly fries are good. I said, how are the churros? And he said, decent, worth the snack. So at least it's a good free thing to get. Good to (laughs) let people cry over. Yeah, but I, I love this, right? It's this idea of not necessarily that he gets his comeuppance, but like for him living this life of bitterness that has foisted onto the people that are in his immediate vicious orbit as a planet, Mm -hmm. the fact that he dies like unsatisfied from that, like that he doesn't even have the moral victory of like, well, at least I died for my art. You know, like if he had gotten shot in the duel, that would have been worse because then he can almost paint himself as the hero in that regard of like, Mm -hmm. I penned my magnum opus and I bled for it here. He's a dumb dumb who accepted the first challenge he got from someone who probably didn't even read the book and essentially causes his own death by just like not looking where he should and tripping yeah. and falling. Like it's a it's a great way for the character to go out. Great meaning, you know, uh, larger immense. I mean it in the pejorative sense, but this idea of all like the just pure toxicity of this man for him to go out in that embarrassing of a way does tickle me. Yeah. 100%. And we do find out a little bit about the eulogy that B gave for Butterscotch. And this is what Bojack calls B his darling mother, which is one of the very few times he says any sort of like positive word association about his mother. You could argue whether he means that or not, but <laughs> he said it. And he says, I never heard her say one positive thing about him, but she said, my husband is dead and everything is worse now. I have this highlighted in my notes. I loved this so much. I felt like, and he keeps coming back to it. He says it over and over again. And I just think that it's so powerful and understated. Like, I think that it's really an incredible line. My husband is dead and everything is worse now. But it brings up such a fantastic conundrum that happens when people die. Right? Like, there is certainly a lot of discourse out there nowadays with the advent of social media of... If someone who is not liked dies, how do we approach that as people, right? Like, mm-hmm. do we do we try to approach it from, like, a, a very, you know, like, uh, sympathetic, empathetic angle, right? Be like, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry to his or her loved ones, like, sad to lose them. Or do you not mince words, right? Do you try to not BS and be like, no, I didn't like them. You know, they did these terrible things. Why on earth would I want to celebrate their life? It's a conundrum that a lot of people find themselves in. And I think Bojack's mm-hmm. really expressing that here. Right? Like, I think he is legitimately confused why his mother, who he has seen nothing but spew hatred towards, is now saying, my husband is dead and everything is worse now. Now, again, he's going to dig even deeper into that. Of Oh, does he mean it in the literal sense of he left me in debt? Like, he essentially ruined my life. Or Mm -hmm. is she meaning it in the emotional sense? And if that's the case, is she just flat out lying? And why is she doing that? Or did she truly feel that way? And if so, that incredibly confuses what I assumed of their relationship. Well, and I think it also goes back to what we talked about earlier and what Bojack talked about earlier, about how as a child, he was always waiting for the proof that his parents loved him and for things to get better and for some kind of grand gesture. When you have a bad relationship with someone and they die the opportunity for any sort of grand gesture or to make things right or to fix things is gone. And I do mm-hmm. think that that makes, like, that makes things worse, right? If you want to talk about it in a literal sense, you're like, well, I had a shitty relationship with this person and they are gone now and it will never be fixed and it's over and that's worse. Mm-hmm. And so that, I think, is another way that you could interpret that. Yeah, and he says, like, he says that later about her of, like, now... 
you're never going to get that. I mean, we've talked a lot before about closure, but like you're never going to get that moment where you can reconcile. It's just like now, you know, that was just that was the entirety of your relationship and it was bad. Yeah, it's this idea of you always think there's a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, no matter how muted the colors might look. But then like the light begins to fade and you're like, there's nothing at the end there. So what am I striving towards? You know, what am I looking towards? And it's it's sad, but it's beautiful, which is a great way to describe Bojack Horseman in general. I also just love that line in that, it does sound something that Beatrice Horseman, the character, would say, like, incredibly deadpan as well. Like, I could also see the character saying it with no inflection in her voice whatsoever. I'm like, my husband is dead and everything is worse now. As she's looking mm-hmm. at probably his open casket as well. Well, I mean, he bashed his head. Do you think he had an open casket? <laughs> True. I don't know. Don't you think he'd be like, I want the world to see what lies inside this beautiful brain of mine? <laughs> I think there was a moment during Time Zero where they flashed briefly maybe to his casket and it was closed. Oh, do they? I thought, or that might have been Cracker Jack's casket, though. Or it might have even been Bee's dead. Yeah, I mean, yeah, 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 the Matthew Broderick character. Yeah, it could be a thing where it is almost paying it forward as well, right? Of if Bojack doesn't know any better than what his mother did, like, if his father wanted an open casket and B refused, it would only make sense for her to want one and he refused it, right? <laughs> of like, well, she yeah. did it for him, so I guess I have to keep doing it as well. Yeah. Well, and maybe with the casket we see in Time Zero, if that's one of B's family members, maybe if all she saw was closed caskets she th- and it didn't help her grieve, maybe she thought an open casket would help people grieve her, right? Like, maybe. you can always... And again, we're ju- that's literally just me trying to place a meaning on lit- uh, gar- nothing. <laughs> yeah. But, like, that could be a thing. I don't know. Yeah. We do also get where Bojack is doing like the what what is that called when you change the flutters of the words? Oh, you're talking about like the uh one's carried in a basket, the other one's buried in a casket. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's got one's a coffin fit and the other fits in a coffin. And then the last one was just one is decently rad and the other is a huge bitch, which I laughed. I laughed really hard at that moment. I laughed so much when he goes, sorry, that might have been a little bit too. My mom is a bitch for the room. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little too. My mom is a huge bitch for the room. I yeah. love it. And again, that, that's very much like Bojack is almost getting off on a roll and he can't help but just like really build <laughs> to a fervor. Because you'd imagine, again, this is like his true feelings are eking out right now. It started as him being uncomfortable not knowing what to do, turning this into a stand-up set to, like, him now turning this into an extended monologue holding a room hostage as he tries to, like, puzzle out all of his complicated feelings about his parents because they're both gone. Yeah. This is where we hear about B's, like, parties that she used to have where people would perform, and this is where she would make Bojack sing the lollipop song even when he does not want to, as we've seen in flashbacks in the past, Mm -hmm. but... At the end, she had a beautiful dance that she would only bring out for these parties. And though his father hated these parties and would hide in the study and bang on the wall, he would always come out to watch B dance. Mm-hmm. I loved this too, where he's like, he, he would linger in the doorway and watch his cynical, miserable wife take flight. Well, and it's also like it reflects back to her like debutante ball where she met him in the first place, but she did her like jumping routine there mm-hmm. wondering how s- how similar the dance is to her yeah. uh, performance oh, at her I, I'm sure I'm sure especially as she got older right it was this idea of like finding that escape for like a hot second you feel like you could fly fly away in many ways again very much like a doll's house in mm-hmm. that regard I'm surprised nobody flew in the weird production of a doll's house that I saw 
But this is where we get a really apt metaphor for me of, you know, he said basically his mom knew what it was like to feel like what when you're drowning. And essentially mm -hmm. there are moments where you can suddenly remember that you swim. And yeah. it's this idea of like being pulled against the tide, essentially like being pulled down to the bottom. And then for a, a few seconds, you have this fleeting realization that like you can't escape, that there are better things before you look at your situation and continue to drag yourself back down. And mm -hmm. my God, it is miserable, but like an absolutely incredible metaphor. Yeah, I thought it tied in so nicely with that whole Anna story that we got last season where she's talking about like the drowning story where she forced herself to go and learn how to swim and like these things that you have to overcome you feel like you're drowning I don't know I thought that tied in really nicely with yeah all that. and like when you you know which way is up because you look for the the bubbles, the bubbles right yeah I also really liked during this moment we get a scene of Bojack like looking up yeah. which is again not like a typical angle of Bojack and we have a shadow of B dancing behind him which I thought was really beautiful so beautiful I got chills during that scene that's how you had to put on your blanket scarf <laughs> yeah <laughs> You Aritzia bitch. Oh my god, look at you. <laughs> but like it's... I know a Wilfred scarf when I see one. That's an iconic. Oh, can this be a segment of like what like copy steals steal Lindsay's look and Kirsten just goes through like everything that Lindsay's wearing? Oh my god. Well, what I can see is she's got the beautiful acetate glasses on. If you I I believe that Lindsay's are from Clearly Contacts, but if you want a similar look, you could get them anywhere. She's got a Wilfred blanket scarf on. It's the classic square pattern. Um it looks like she has it in the brown and the dark blue. Correct. Um see it, she's showing the tag. It's a Wilfred scarf. She's also she's got over the ear headphones on. Are they what you got some Sony's on? What, what are the those? bows? Oh, she got the Bose headphones. She's a bougie bitch. She's if a you fancy want that bitch. Look. <laughs> oh my goodness. So yeah, this I'm assuming she's got the Lululemon leggings on the bottom too. Heaven forbid. <laughs> got some old navy jeans on. I, so, okay, so this needs to be a segment now. I absolutely love this. Like I will, I will, I will sign up for it every week. Okay, perfect. <laughs> so, yeah, so what do, what do you make of this? Was this, like, a brief sojourn of... Because Bojack hasn't popped the pills yet, right? So, like, this isn't any sort of hallucination, but it almost seems to me shades of, like, a panic attack, almost, as he, he begins to dote on that. Well, I, I think it's... It almost sounds like... Because he also says that, like, the moment where Butterscotch would watch his mother dancing, that he knew that this moment of grace meant something. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it's almost like this is like the one positive memory of his childhood. And to remember that in a moment where he's talking about both of his parents being gone, I think that that's a moment where grief like would really hit. And I'm not sure if I've talked about this on the podcast before, but the I'm, I'm someone who has unfortunately dealt with a lot of grief and, and loss in my life. And it's something that I'm comfortable with and that I'm at home with. But the best description of grief I've ever seen anywhere is that you imagine your, your grief as there's a box with a button mm -hmm. and there's a ball in the box. And when the button is pushed is when you feel the strongest grief. And when loss is new, the ball is the size of the box and you feel it all the time. Hmm. But over time, your grief shrinks and it just bounces around the box. But every once in a while, that ball hits the button and it feels like you're right back on day one of whatever loss you've experienced. Mm -hmm. And to me, when Bojack looks up in that moment and you can see B dancing behind him, the the ball has hit the button and he is feeling a fresh wave of grief, something more powerful than he's probably ever felt in his life. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's how it feels to me. I love that. Yeah. I love that so much. Mm -hmm. Just a beautiful image. And yeah, I could totally feel that of 
as much as Bojack, especially with the with the idea that he is like puzzling through his complicated thoughts about this, for have to finally have a brief glimpse of actual grief, uh, remembering like feeling it, yeah, really feeling it, not just intellectualizing it, but feeling yeah. it. But then he like yeah. he comes back to it, right? And he comes back with this really demure fact where all three of us were drowning, and there was no way to save each other, but there was an understanding that we were all drowning together, which like woof. You know, yeah. when you are really suffering and you talk about finding those lifelines, if those lifelines are other people that are also drowning, I mean, again, talk about how hurt people hurt people. Mm-hmm. And this idea of like, of course, someone like Bojack coming from a household would like have no rudder, right? He can't tell where the bubbles are going because the people next to him are not breathing purposely so. And so he, yep. no wonder he oh. doesn't know what direction to have. Uh, yeah, it's it's like the thing where on a plane you're supposed to put on your own mm-hmm. like oxygen mask first before you can put yeah. on anybody else's. But it's like all three of them are just sitting there like, okay, I guess we're just not putting these on. Yeah, and like, for, I mean, this is getting very real with us digging into our own lives. But like, yeah. the one of the ways that we've talked about probably my own personal trauma manifests in me always trying to fix other broken people in order to be like, look, I'm fixing someone because I'm so healthy. And that's why we're so close. <laughs> <laughs> but there's this quote from Frederick Bachman that's always spoken to me, where he says, I pulled it up so I'd get it right. It says, two drowning people with lead weights around their ankles may not be each other's salvation. If they hold hands, they just sink twice as fast. And I was like I remember hearing that during a moment where it was extremely important for me to hear it and it was just like oh this is the thing I'm doing this is something I have to get away from it's yeah it's so tough right because you imagine just in general that like finding comfort in someone is the thing to do certainly Mm -hmm. when it comes to like if you feel alone and you're not you can reach out to someone exactly but what if that person is also hurting and suffering in their own way. Sometimes mm-hmm. it doesn't help. Sometimes it hurts even more. And it's Sometimes like, just pull you down. Yeah. And it's an incredibly sad, terrible fact. And the fact that Bojack, when ruminating on his own three person family household experience, uses this, this imagery for it is just terrible because there's also this idea of like, we were all slowly dying. Two of them are dead. Guess who's next? Yep. Mm-hmm. And he literally says that, like, the, that's the thing when both your parents die is you're next, like, yep. not necessarily next, next, like, it's not like there's a lineup to die, but like, you're the last one left. Mm-hmm. And I and I love Ugh. I love him talking about, uh, first off, really timely Snapchat reference in yeah. 2018. Snapchat's back, Mike. What? The youths are on Snap. The youths are on Snapchat. Is it because, like, is it this thing where, like, once the olds go onto a platform, the youths are like, nope, got to run away to the next thing. And so now they've hopped off of TikTok or now back onto Snapchat. Everything old is new again. I think everyone is on TikTok, but I think Snapchat never fully died as much as we all thought it did, I think. I, I think that Snapchat gets a lot of use from uh, dating non non safe search people. <laughs> it's not for safe search, <laughs> the uh, but community. then it also like it's really funny. The only people I know of who use Snapchat are like the oldest people I know. Like not oldest, not oldest people I know. Like older, pe- older people, like senior millennials, <laughs> senior millennials, and also some. I know, I know at least one Gen X who's on Snapchat, TBH, and then like youths, like children, are on Snapchat, and yeah. there is no in between. But we could be run over by a Snapchatting teen at any moment. <laughs> I did like literally that. we could. Yeah, but but it's an interesting idea from Bojack, right? This thing of because life is so fleeting, on paper it should allow us to always be kind 
to one another, right? And just be like, you know, say, hey, you know, you never know what might happen. So like, let's be the best person we can be. But it makes us small and stupid and petty and like, mm-hmm. yeah, it really does. Especially with the advent of things like Snapchat, for example, where like, it's it's less about the fact that things might end and more about like, well, things might end. So like, I want to do what I want and, and like how that reflects badly onto others. Well, and that's the thing, too, is, like, that's how BoJack perceives things. But there are people every single day who face their own mortality with grace and care for their fellow humans. Mm -hmm. And just because BoJack doesn't have a lot of experience with, I guess, good people, you know, it doesn't doesn't mean that there aren't good people out there that are are doing those things. It also doesn't help that he comes from an industry that he's essentially worked in for years and years at this point, right, that probably has that ideation right that like Mm -hmm. is petty and small and self-centered that he hasn't really had many opportunities to travel outside of that and actually experience like maybe the his experience with the fly and the cracker jack home was one of those first times of being like oh yeah when you're not in hollywood like there actually are kind people out there there are Mm -hmm. nice people that do things for others well, and and that goes back to every, like, truly everything. One of the most, like, formative flashbacks we've ever seen of BoJack is when he talks to Charlotte at the party about how right. Hollywood is a swamp and to leave. And, yeah, he didn't go, right? But he still saw her as, like, his escape, right? Yeah. <laughs> Look at us. Look at us making connections. Connections. Almost, <laughs> I almost remember old episodes of this show now. Incredible. What have thought? We also get, he talks about when he fell off the building, and I guess all he was thinking was, won't they be sorry? But he doesn't even know, like, who they are or what they would be sorry for. That's just, like, what he was thinking as he fell off a building. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. so let's uh, let's make this three for three in personal comments, shall we? And, and this is a <laughs> yes. little bit of, like, a content warning. See if people want to tune ahead a couple minutes. Because I've been very frank about, like, my own personal experiences with suicide and suicidal thoughts it's something that i have unfortunately delved into luckily i've been able to seek treatment in both the uh, pharmaceutical variety as well as the therapeutic variety to be able to be on the other side of that um, a much brighter and better person but when i heard this line all this hit me very hard because i'm gonna be completely frank i have had this thought before And it's, again, it's this weird, ubiquitous they, right? Of, like, I don't even know what that means, but why is there so much vindictiveness there? Mm -hmm. Why is there so much this idea of, like, oh, yeah, people will remember me when I'm gone. Won't they be sorry? It's it's frightening just thinking about the thought. And that's why, like, Bojack, and again, it comes back to Bojack, like, thinking of himself as pathetic, of, like, that's your last final thought. She, your beautiful mother has this poetic eye, I see you, and you're thinking, won't they feel sorry? But it's one of these things that happens in your fucked up brain, like I certainly mm-hmm. have in my darkest moments, right? This idea of, like, well, they're gonna, they're gonna be sorry that they ever did this thing or that they ever felt this way when I'm gone. Again, it goes back to this idea of, like, when someone dies... How do you sort of polish what your thoughts are about them? And in my own demented world where I have these these thoughts of how everyone hates me and how, you know, I, I am someone who feels completely isolated, that I am drowning and everyone else is actively pouring water into the pool to drown me further, that the, these just absolutely negative thoughts progressing outward as well as inward come in and so obviously that is something that I I do not have running through my head anytime soon I'm incredibly grateful for the people that I have in my life in many capacities but 
that was one of those moments, much like I talked about in my first podcast with Stupid Piece of Shit, that was like a big lock-clicking moment for me of, yeah. oh, somebody else feels this way. Oh, my God. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. So, again, it's a show that, like, will always mean an incredible amount to me, in part because, like, I have these very much meaningful connections. Feels a little awkward in that this is with a character that obviously is not capital G good. But still, like, when he talks about this moment and the stupid and petty thoughts that you have when you feel like you're in your last moments, like, I I have been there, man, and it sucks and it is scary in many ways. Well, and I think there's something so powerful, too, in, like, hearing that the things that you're thinking, other people think them, too. Like, even mm-hmm. when they're the messed up, shitty things that you're thinking and you wish you could not be thinking them, I think there's something incredibly powerful in seeing yourself reflected in that and not being like, oh, this is just me. Like, oh, look, someone else is feeling that way, too. And I think that there's a little bit of light in that. Yeah, and even if it's not, like, a character that you would want to identify with, it's still it's just further proof that brains are just stupid <laughs> piles of meat with electricity. Yeah. And sometimes they, they don't do the right thing. Sometimes they don't work right. And that's why Butterscotch yeah. would want an open casket, right? It's like, I want to see this stupid goo-filled electro ball showed off to everybody <laughs> to see what's inside yeah. here. We get, like, one more, like, really heart-wrenching thing before the big one, which is where Bojack talks about an episode of Horsin' Around again, which essentially is Olivia's birth mom comes back and disappoints her, but... In the show, they were always told not to dwell on the kids being orphans because people get sad when they think about orphans. But Bojack thought that they were lucky to be orphans because they could imagine their parents however they wanted, which, like, that got me. That really got me. Yeah, very rough. Yeah, it really does, again, put into mind that kid, right, who was, like, again, staring at the TV while his parents were arguing, really finding that that escapism. Also should be noted that, you know, Bojack talks about two dead characters here, right? He mentions Herb but he pauses when it talks about Sarah Lynn. And I think that's another Mm -hmm. big indicator, right? About like his own culpability with that, as opposed to her, where obviously things did not end well there, but he does not feel like that was Mm -hmm. a, his fault and B, he does not feel as close to that death as he did with Sarah Lynn. Well, he says Herb Kazaz, who is dead now, and Mm -hmm. then says a little girl named Sarah Lynn. So he's choosing to see Sarah Lynn as a child and not how she ended up in that moment as well. Exactly. Yeah, and so sitcoms can't have happy endings, though, because if everyone's happy, the show would be over. And Mm -hmm. if there's always more show, you can never have a happy ending. And there's always more show until there isn't. And I don't know if that's true, because I feel like the whole, isn't the core conceit with sitcoms that, like, everything resets at the end? So, like, there are, I think, (laughs) micro happy endings. When it comes to larger cliffhangers, like, you know, Olivia leaving to go be with her birth mother, yes, that makes sense why they sort of reset things back. But I feel like... In general, isn't the onus of sitcoms that there are no sort of, like, dramatic, you know, sad endings? It's just that there's nothing to really (laughs) shift seismically the universe, that everything's kept in stasis. The way I always think about sitcoms for larger stuff like that is with friends, where, like, you can have one couple that is happy, but (laughs) everybody else has to have, like, upheaval in order for it to stay as the the sitcom. So you can have your your Chandler and Monica or your Schmidt and Cece, but then you're going to have your Ross and Rachel or your Nick and Jessica that are (laughs) on again, off again the whole time. Mm Mm-hmm. That's how I think. I, I can always identify the the Ross and Rachel and the Monica and Chandler of like pretty much every show like <laughs> fast. And then this is where we find out that 
Jesus Christ, they were in the ICU, and mm-hmm. B was only reading the sign over his shoulder in her last moments. Which, like, that to me is, like, even more depressing, that she's dying, and she's like, oh, ICU. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it wasn't the talk, right? Bojack was saying, like, how she really wasn't there, and, like, you know, she was off, mm-hmm. and maybe she saw Butterscotch that, like, yeah, her words were completely meaningless, that she was still lost in the fog. It wasn't this rare moment of sanity where she just comes out of is like, yes, Bojack, I see you before she passes. It was just, she was already far gone at this point mm-hmm. and he was foolish for even picking out any meaning behind it. Yeah, no. And this, like this to me, this whole sequence where he's actually just like yelling at her where he says this woman at the Jack in the box showed me more compassion and kindness than you ever did. And that line where he says, I was your son. All I had was you is like, oh. Oh, my oh, that God. that broke me. That absolutely like oh. that really made me break. Like I had to pause it's for a hot so second because like it's because that is again like building to a fever pitch. He has used all these masking efforts, right, of jokes mm-hmm. and underhanded comments and resentment. But like you could tell, this mm-hmm. is unfiltered BoJack Horseman. Like this is unvarnished. What he yeah. truly felt. What he always wanted to tell her. Mm-hmm. I'm your son. All I all had I was, you. was you. Like. God, and especially it's, especially watching yeah. this is the first time I've watched the episode since being a new father as well. And like, obviously, I look God. at parent-child <laughs> things very differently. Obviously, it's a very different situation in many ways. But like, I now become so much more sensitive to matters of parents yeah. and children just because it's this idea of like, I can never imagine a, a parent like not giving a child love just because yeah. of the amount of love that I give my own child. And so to like hear that coming from a son to a parent like i'm even getting mm-hmm. really misty just like talking <laughs> about it because it's, it's an emotion that just like absolutely stuns me i cannot even think in my heart of hearts that i would ever possess an ounce of that ability to not love mm-hmm. my child with every single fiber of my being and the fact that she couldn't and he was yeah. desperate for her to yeah. is just brutal absolutely brutal mm-hmm. Well, and, and I think yeah. the other thing, too, with that is, like, we've talked a lot and everyone talks all the time about how this is, like, a writing masterpiece. But I think, like, in this moment, you especially see what an accomplishment it is for Will Arnett, where, like, you have to sell that line. Like, that comes off, as you said, just so raw and unvarnished. Like, you hear the, like, choked up quality in his voice and, like, he's just being so vulnerable and delivering that line of, like, all I had was you is unbelievable. Crushing. Really, yeah. really well acted. Yeah. We also get the comparison of losing a parent is like watching the show Becker. Yes. He kept he kept watching it and waiting for it to get better, and it never did, but it had all the pieces to be great, and it just wasn't. Yeah. And then when it gets canceled, you realize that it's never going to be that great show, or that's what losing a parent is like. You'll never have that good relationship that you wanted to have, which, like, Hopefully for most people, it's not like that. Hopefully for most people, you actually have like an okay relationship with your parents, but obviously like not everyone does. So, well, but I think there is for a lot of people, as you mentioned, Kirsten, it's this idea of like, I wish it could have been something more. I think with a lot of people, right? Like there's a lot of I wishes, whether it's I wish I'd said this thing or with some people, it's like, I wish I had done this thing with them. You know, if you had your time, Mm -hmm. I will say, I guess back to my TV professional name, I have seen a good amount of Becker. (laughs) <laughs> that was that was in my wheelhouse. Ted Danson, that was his first like big post cheers thing. I remember that I think Alex Dessert, that's how you pronounce his name, like he played his best friend who was blind, if I recall correctly. I do mm-hmm. do remember that Terry Farrell, who played Jadzia Dax on 
Star Trek Deep Space Nine memorably got killed off the show because she no longer wanted to be a part of it, and she went on to be in Becker. I think that was her first project after being on Star Trek. Uh, so yeah, those are like the random things I remember. But much like BoJack, I found myself watching Becker for a significant portion of time. It ran for six seasons. I think I watched at least four of them, but God help you if you could like ask me any more details outside of those things <laughs> that I just mentioned. Yeah, I got nothing. Yeah, I feel like there's like I feel like there's a lot of taxi cab imagery. Yes. And that's the only additional detail I could provide. Yeah, cuz I believe he wasn't a taxi driver. I believe he's a doctor, but mm-hmm. I feel like there were a lot of scenes in taxis. I agree. Yeah, I think there's just a lot of and I think in the opening credits there's like a yellow cab and it just like makes me think of cabs when I think of Becker. <laughs> And this is where Bojack says, my mother is dead and everything is worse now. And it's like, ugh. Yeah. And then he basically says that, like, she just wanted what everyone wanted, which is to be seen. And then he opens her casket. Yeah. So he opens the casket, reaches into his coat pocket to pull out a flyer, which I assume is the, like, thing inviting people to the funeral. Looks up. You see that the whole... uh, group of people at the funeral are lizards and he says is this funeral parlor b episode ends jesus christ what an incredible joke what an that we have gone on such a roller coaster ride and this is the picture that we take at the end that this entire (laughs) blistering scathing heart pouring 26 minute monologue was done in the wrong room and he was so focused on himself and his mother and his father He didn't even think about looking at the congregation and noticing that none of them are of the same species as either him (laughs) or his mother. God, just a, like, brilliant punchline. It's that whole thing, right, of telling a huge extended setup for a joke. And then the punchline just, like, is so almost anti-humor that it whips around and makes the entire buildup worth it. That is his final line for me. I love it so much. So good. I like to believe that after this, he goes into the right funeral parlor and just says, my mother is dead and everything is worse now. And, and opens the casket. <laughs> to make sure this is the right one this time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Maybe he opens the casket, but maybe he's learned his lesson. But yeah. I love the fact specifically that not even... Like, not even that it's other animals, but that it's, like, geckos, right? That it's lizards Mm -hmm. as well. That they look (laughs) so different. They're green. They're scaly. Like, the exact opposite. Actually, I don't know. Would you say a lizard is the opposite of a horse? (laughs) Hmm. Maybe. Well, they both breathe air, so I don't think they're, like, complete opposites. Hmm. Interesting. Hmm. I feel like a seahorse is the opposite of a horse. I think we've made this exact comment before. Now that you say it, it sounds very familiar. (laughs) Probably when we talked about um, fish out of water. Yes. We got a bunch of feedback for this. Actually, not a lot of it is actually about this episode, but a lot of feedback this week. I will say this was very fun to talk about this with both of you. Yeah, this was great. great. This was really fun. I would say that maybe maybe we should focus on the episode specific and we can push some feedback to next week. Sure. Whatever you want to. I'm here to accept (laughs) any blind items, much like Becker's best friend. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh my god. All right. Noah says, a co-worker's mother passed away and we got him a sympathy basket. When I handed it to him, I said, it's not a free churro, but it's something. He did not get the reference. Oh Very dark boy. stuff from god. Noah. Always <laughs> check if the other person knows the reference, because otherwise you save yourself an incredible amount of follow-up. You know what? Maybe this is an unpopular opinion. When someone you know loses someone, 
don't make a TV reference. Just yeah. don't do it. <laughs> Smart. Just be just be earnest and just be situation. kind. <laughs> just give them the basket. Yeah. Jake says, love the pod. Can't wait for free churro. I'd love to hear what you think about Ted Danson and Becker. We did give you a bit of that already, mostly from oh, Mike. Oh, what's your, what's your Ted Danson feelings in general? I love Ted Danson. He can do no wrong. And I know he wasn't the organizer, but watching him get arrested for protesting for climate change and the Green New Deal, chef's kiss. We love him. Yeah, I love Ted Danson. I think he's great in everything he does. When Asher was born... There were a few nights starting off where, like, Angel and I would, like, trade off shifts being up all night with him. And that's when I started really to get into Cheers, watching Cheers for the first time. And, like, he's fantastic. He's just, like, such a comedic genius through and through and just like he's he's really oozes charisma so like he's like the the rare old white guy in hollywood who you hear nothing but good things about. <laughs> yes. which is what makes his character in curb even funnier right that like he is like a little bit of an a-hole and a little sneaky as well like that's it's very fun for him to play against type and obviously he wouldn't be doing it if he wasn't playing against type yeah, so I'm going to burn through these really quickly because there are three more, but they are all short, so I'll just burn through them. This is also from Jake. Just listened to your podcast episode on Amelia Earhart, and I do agree that Lion King 2 has the best songs, but the best Lion King film is easily Lion King 3, which was Lion King 1.5 in Canada, since it's the funniest and most creative. Lion King 3, then 2, then 1, to be honest. Matt Gagan also said Lion King 1.5 is the best Lion King today. Also, Lion King 1.5 was definitely called Lion King 1.5 outside of Canada as well. It was- said America and Canada. Yeah, so I guess other places are called Lion King 3. But Lion King yeah. 1.5 is fun. It's very much Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead, but with a much more of a comedic spin, right? It's Timon and Pumbaa, what they're yeah. doing while everything so else is funny. happening. <laughs> Lion King, Lion King 1.5 is genuinely hilarious, and we used to own the DVD, and I would watch it, like, every day when I was, like, 11 and, like, way too old to be watching Lion King 1.5 every day. <laughs> Eric also wrote in and said, in response to our Milo and Otis stuff from last week, the reason why Milo and Otis is horrible is not because it isn't entertaining, but because of how many dogs and cats were killed or injured while making it. Because there were no animal rights employees. Other than that, love the podcast as always. (laughs) Thanks, Eric. Listen, thanks for ruining my childhood. (laughs) This is why I love animation, right? The fox and the hound. No foxes nor hounds were harmed (laughs) in the making of this film. Yes. And then Michael, so no, no easy segue from this. Michael says, at some point as a bonus episode, are you planning to watch or review the movie Horse Girls starring Alison Brie? Seems only fitting. Never heard of it. <laughs> you know what? I'm on board. I've never watched it, never heard of it, but let's do it. I rem- Yeah, I remember hearing about it. So it came out last year. It's a psychological drama film, so might not be that ha-ha funny. But again, BoJack Horseman is not sometimes, so... Yeah. You know, speaking of horse girls, I realized, Kirsten, uh, yesterday being Chinese New Year, I was like, what year was I born? I am a horse girl. No <laughs> way! That's amazing! I know. little yes, Easter egg. For iconic. Th- when we were born back in the 60s, watching Maud reruns <laughs> as a horse girl. Oh my god. <laughs> yes, exactly. Kirsten, something that might incentivize you to watch Horse Girl, it does have a role played by Matthew Gray Goobler from Criminal Minds. wait is it public knowledge how much i like matthew gray you have said it a couple of times huh plus you talk about criminal minds a lot on this podcast the crush on matthew gray goobler is long dead but i i was a a a goob stan uh, for a long time you call them goobers is that what his stands are called go home yeah i was a goob i was a goober yeah go home goober that's right go home Um, goober 
Yeah, you caught me. So all of the all of the feedback on Twitter was was mostly just like we're really excited to hear you talk about this episode. And then Morgan also confirmed that Lion King Two is better than Lion King One. Simba cannot ha- hold a candle to Kobu. Yes, Morgan also helpfully provided us the incredible shout out from Podcast Horseman. So that was wonderful. Yes. Oh my God, Podcast Horseman, who I tried to start a Twitter feud with. Instead, they finished their run of BoJack Horseman and and gave us a glowing recommendation to all of their listeners so if you're new because podcast horseman sent you please let us know yes you you can reach us by emailing us bojackhorsepod at gmail.com or you can tweet at us at bojackhorsepod we also have a google form but like yeah screw the google form. <laughs> mike thank you so much for joining us oh my god uh, this was amazing i i love joining the two of you to talk about anything let alone one of my favorite episodes of television i mean i have no idea if we did it justice but I mean, to really, like, wrap it up, it just is so magnificent in every way. It really serves as, like, almost its own episode as well, much like we talked about how maybe it doesn't work in season five, but, like, just as an episode of television, it is immaculate. I'm pretty sure it was the first episode of BoJack ever nominated for an Emmy, which was, like, better late than never. It just really, to me, is something I always look back on as to what the medium of television can do and how we still have so far to go, how with the advent of things like streaming, how we're not now, we're no longer beholden to like 21 minute episodes with four acts and three commercial breaks that like now we can work outside of that, tell different stories, tell different structured stories and talk through some really complicated shit. And there's so many complicated, messy things happening in free churro. Like you said, he contradicts himself at so many points. He's expressing all these notions that, like, we agree with, that we disagree with. And that's humanity, for, or horsemanity, for lack of a better term, right? It's like, <laughs> horsemanity. it is messy, it is complicated. It's a churro that gets you covered at the end of the day with something sweet, but something that, like, <laughs> oh. ultimately just like i don't know makes you feel like a, a little i don't know dusted with things and, and uh, sort of coated with your past as it were <laughs> so i love this show i love this episode as well i was blown away watching it every single time will arnett this is the finest performance of his career and this episode is the finest performance of that performance mm-hmm. incredible what he's been able to do and just a great representation of everything he has done and thank you for for giving me the opportunity to come on and, and talk so much about it you know i i yeah of course i I apologize to those that were not happy with the way i got real down when i was talking about that that one part but like no we appreciate it yeah no i i've gotten incredibly comfortable with not being okay in the past few years that being able to come Mm -hmm. on and and talk about this so openly has been so freeing for me and i think freeing Mm -hmm. for a lot of people like you said before Lindsay, it really helps to hear someone say they're going through something that you might be going through and I've certainly experienced that talking about my own depression and suicide on podcasts before. And I'm happy to do that when there have been other characters and other products and other people who have given me that realization as well. Mm -hmm. So hell yeah, I love coming on and finding out, you know, what national holiday it is. And then also getting into (laughs) like a really complicated, incredible, Um, depressing episode of the show. Yes, absolutely. And so, Mike, if people want to hear more from you, where can they find you? Okay, here we go. That's right. Get the get the scroll out. Here's another monologue. Another My- twenty plus minutes. <laughs> All right. Well, let's start with let's start with reality TV. My God, are we living it 
right now. <laughs> Celebrity Big Brother has just debuted. I'll be doing Exit mm -hmm. Press every week. I believe that they officially announced that ev evictions are happening on the Friday and Monday episodes. So I'll be doing Exit okay. Press on Saturday and Tuesdays. I'm also doing not only Exit Press with Parade.com for The Amazing Race, but also doing some really lovely recaps every week with Rob Cesarino and Jessica Lease. We're doing weekly recaps of that. And then on occasion, we're doing a podcast called The Tar Pit, which is uh, a little bit of like an odds and ends sloppy way to look at the week. This past week, we had Sasha Joseph on, which was an incredible amount of fun. We played a game called Sausage or Nut. If that's not enough to convince <laughs> you to watch, listen to the podcast, I don't know what is. And Survivor, I was on a podcast last week with Shannon Gus. Australian Survivor has just started featuring the one, the only Sandra Diaz-Twine, her daughter, Nina, as well. But if you want a, a big lowdown on who the cast is, you can check that out. Now let's move over to post-show recaps, which <laughs> I should very excitedly mention, as of a few hours ago, got a shout-out in Variety.com on an article entitled yeah. 15 Television Podcasts Worth Listening To. So... I don't trust that article. They didn't include BoJack Horsepod. Oh, let me scroll ugh. down. Oh, oh, Trash. Oh, oh, there it is. There, I think I see it. Oh, there it is. Yep, BoJack Horsepod. Number 16. Just, honorable mention. It yeah. there. It's an invisible ink. So yeah, I mean, I am super later. Really excited for all the stuff that we are doing, and we are doing a lot. In terms of like what I am personally doing, so the Book of Boba Fett is about to conclude. A lot of stuff has been happening. Excited things. If you are a Star Wars fan, I'm covering that with our Philly. We're also covering a show called The Legend of Vox Machina, which is a, an Amazon Prime adult animated fantasy series. So, like, if you are into adult animation, which I have a feeling you are if you're watching BoJack Horseman, I think... I don't know if you'd enjoy this. It's, it's not a one-to-one -one comparison, but, like, it is graphic. It is funny. It is dark. It is very well done. So we're covering that. I've been talking with my wife about the TV show The Witcher. Season 2, we're talking about the finale this week. That has been a lot of fun. Very exciting. Very fun. Very gory fantasy series. Talking about The X-Files. And I mentioned it before. Down the Hatch is the episodic Lost Rewatch podcast that Josh Wiggler and I did. We talked for over 300 hours about the first run of Lost. <laughs> oh now, right. Down the Hatch 2.0 has arrived, where we are now each week, we're going to go through, we, we ended up rating each episode, and so the people behind the scenes like compiled our scores and essentially made like our combined list from beginning to end of lost episodes and so we're doing like a countdown show every week where we're going to talk through four episodes try to guess which episode it is by both blindly guessing and also listening to a clip from the podcast we did to oh essentially God. just show how yeah. bad our memories are so the, at the time you're listening to this on national boy scout day uh, our first one should already <laughs> be out there it was very fun, very silly. It's the next thing that we're going to be doing for the next little while on Down the Hatch. So all that, surely much more to come on every single front. You can check out every little thing I'm putting out there. At a Mike Bloom type is your repository for like all that type of news. And if you, for some reason, want to hear me talk more into your eardrums, as I just mentioned, there are many, many methods to do so. Hell yeah. 
And if you want to hear more Lindsay, there's always the Simpsons Then and Now podcast. Go follow them and check them out. And if you want to hear more from me, you can follow me everywhere at Kirsten Said What, including twitch.tv slash Kirsten Said What. Celebrity Big Brother is on, so you will be able to hear me covering that a little bit over on RHAP. And if you never checked out the coverage for Too Hot to Handle, go check that out as well on my Hot Dummies on Islands feed at robhuswebsite.com slash hot dummies. And last but not least, if you've made it to the end of truly, I think, our longest podcast of all time, right, no Lindsay? Doubt, no doubt. Whoa, <laughs> yeah, no doubt, no I doubt. I didn't realize that. Um, yeah, if you've if you've made it to the end, we thank you very much. And if you still love us, please go leave us a five star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. <laughs> That's a very BoJack Horseman thing to say. If you still love us, <laughs> I mean, listen, we're we're very open about the fact that we're just looking for validation. But we will be back next week to talk about season five, episode seven, int sub. So until next time, bye.